Well, last week we started a series called Changing Directions about how at any point in our lives, uh, God can take us where we are and, and take us in a different direction. And a lot of times that's something we need to do. And we asked a question last week that was an interesting one. If you were doomed to live the same life for the rest of eternity, would you live the life that you're now living? Interesting question, isn't it? And certainly if the answer to that is no, then why don't you change directions? And a lot of times we, we struggle with that because we go, well, you just don't understand, Craig. You just don't understand what's going on in life. And, and you're right, I don't. But I do believe the God of the universe does understand what's going on in our life. And he gives us the opportunities to change directions. And that can be difficult, but we can certainly, certainly do it. So this morning I hope to encourage us with a, a story about someone in the Bible who did make some significant change in the direction of their life, and that was a really risky thing for them to do that. But before we start, I want to share, a lot of y'all probably have heard of Harriet Tubman, probably in history class, uh, an amazing lady who was uh, very uh, uh, critical in bringing uh, about uh, slavery to an end in this country. And so she was born in Maryland on a plantation in 1822, and as she grew up, it was very difficult. She had to do things like uh, drive oxen. She trapped muskrats in the woods and even was a nursemaid. Uh, her owners frequently beat her and she endured the pain of seeing three of her sisters who were living with her on this plantation get sold somewhere else and away from the family. And she dealt with a, a, a lot of difficult things. Uh, uh, one of the owners tried to sell one of her brothers but her mother openly rebelled and she said the uh, the would buyer, uh, the the would be whoever tried to come and get her son, basically, she said, "I will split his head open if he comes in my house." And her mother's actions likely implanted in Harriet herself the idea that resistance to evil was right and could actually sometimes be successful. But there were rays of hope in her life as well. Harriet's mother told her stories from the Bible over and over again, which developed. In her, this deep faith in God, even despite all of her difficult circumstances growing up. When she was about 26 years old, she, uh, she uh, understood that she might be sold away from her family. So the time had come for her to decide, I've got to escape from this. I can't keep going through this. So she made her way some 90 miles along what we would know as the Underground Railroad. And she traveled at night to avoid slave catchers following the North Star till she finally reached... Pennsylvania and freedom. And once there, she dared this very dangerous decision. She risked her own freedom to continue to bring others to freedom at the risk of, of obviously her own life. So for eight years, and a lot of y'all have read about this in history class, um, she led scores of slaves north to freedom during those trips. She relied on God to guide her and protect her. She never once lost a runaway slave. And she would say later, I never ran my train off the track and I never lost a passenger. She gave all the credit to God, explaining, Twant me, t'was the Lord. And I always told him, I trust to you. I don't know where to go or what to do, but I expect you will always lead me. And he always did. Her faith deeply impressed many others, and obviously through history. And as abolitionist Thomas Garrett put it, I never met any person with any color who had more confidence in the voice of God than Harriet Tubman as he spoke directly to her soul. So the question is this morning, I guess, is, is it possible to follow God's leading when things all around you seem to be saying, no, don't go in that direction? You feel like you're hearing God's voice to take you in a certain direction, 
and yet you know that there's other people in your family, maybe friends, maybe the culture, maybe people at your work or whatever, but you're hearing them say, no, you don't want to go in that direction. But you know that you really feel God telling you to go in a different direction. So is it possible when everything seems to be saying no? Well, we know from history, countless people through history, that answer can certainly be yes. Their unwavering faith in God during those very difficult times when everything seemed to be saying no, they said yes to God and moved in a, a different direction. And it helped them make decisions that forever changed not only their lives, but other people's lives. And that was true for Harriet Tubman. It wasn't just to change her life, life and give her freedom, but it also allowed her to lead other people to freedom. And she took that risk to have that freedom. But maybe this morning you can answer yes to that through your own experience. You go, yeah, I've been through some difficult times. And I heard people around me saying, no, don't go in that direction. But I did feel like I heard God say that I should go in this direction. And I went in that direction. And it was risky. And people told me I was crazy. But after some years, I've said, you know what? I went in the right direction by following God. But you might be here this morning and you say, good for you. I'm glad you've heard God. I'm glad countless people through history have heard God. But I'm in a point in my life and in my situation and this period of life that I'm going through right now where, you know what, it's difficult for me to go in the direction I think I hear God leading me. I don't know that I can trust that. And that's a hard spot to be in. And you're going to a, a, through a period where you wonder if God is even speaking to you or even knows your situation at all. So this morning... I hope that this message and what we read today will encourage you to not lose hope in the future, in the present, or lose uh, faith in God, but that you will continue to listen to His voice, and maybe He's taking you in a different direction. So we're going to look at a story this morning of a woman named Rahab from the Old Testament, who in faith took great risk, risk to her own life, to her own family, because she was certain of who God was and what God was doing in the world around her. She saw this in spite of how she had grown up, of what her family was, what her um, background was with the people that she lived around. It, it, it helped her change directions dramatically in her own life. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. I don't know how many of y'all know this story. Some of you may, but if you've never heard of Rahab before, I'm always excited when somebody gets to hear a story from the Bible for maybe the first time, or maybe it will make you go, is that really in there? And I hope it makes you go home and read your Bible and see, is it really in there? And read more about the backstory. But the backstory basically is from the beginnings of the, of the Old Testament. You remember the story of Moses, and Moses was sent to uh, Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And so finally, Pharaoh relented and let the people go. There was this whole million people workforce that went out after all these plagues that God sent. And so Moses was going to take them into the promised land, and they were about to go. And you remember, Moses sent out 12 spies to spy on Canaan, and 10 were bad and 2 were good. Anybody remember that song? Remember that? Some of y'all nodding your head, thank you, like everybody's going, what is he talking about? But you know, the good thing is, is that as we're little kids, people teach us songs and things to remember Bible stories, right? And I'm so thankful for those people who taught me those stories. And right now, as we're sitting in here, there's people back there that are teaching our kids those little jingles and those stories and those songs that help us remember about. And it's not just about remembering songs, it's about remembering stories that God's trying to plant in our hearts and our minds that will help us in our journey along the way. So there were 10 spies that went out, and when they saw Canaan, they go, man, these people are huge. They're big. There's no way we can take them over. 10 of the 12 said that. 
But there were two young men. One was named Caleb and one was named Joshua. He goes, yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're strong. But God has promised us he's going to give us this land. So, yeah, we can do this. But as you know what happened as a result, God says, you're not ready. If 10 of y'all are saying that it's not possible and you're not ready, then you're going to be wandering around for a while. Because probably within two weeks to maybe a month, Israel could have gone to the promised land and not taken 40-year wandering like they did. But God was doing something in those 40 years. And at the end of those 40 years, a whole generation of people had died. And now Joshua and Caleb were leaders and Moses had died. And they're getting ready to go into the promised land and take occupation of this promised land that God had given them. And one of the first stops was Jericho. And so these, this next time, Joshua says, we're going to send two spies to Jericho to kind of see what's going on there. He doesn't send 12. He just sends two. And he made sure, I bet, after his experience some 40 years ago, that we're going to send two guys who have a positive outlook, that have a strong faith, that when they come back, they're going to say, yeah, God can do this. We know he can. So he sends these spies, and they go into the house of a prostitute. And you're going, what? Okay, and we'll get to that in a minute. But she hides them. And she has had this experience where she knows who God is. And we're not exactly sure how she heard about God, but she certainly did. So she hides them. And so we're going to go to Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. And it's kind of a long passage, but I've kind of shortened it a little bit. But So anyway, she's hiding them. And before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear by me, by the Lord, that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hill so that the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will, be, will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house to the street, their blood will be on their own heads and we will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is raised is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released the oath, from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she went away. She sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, this is a fascinating story on, on a lot of different uh, levels. Um, almost 40 years ago, again, you remember Moses sent out those 12 spies, and this time it's only two. And these are two young men, and again, and, but they seem to know that God's going to do this, but they're still checking things out. And uh, if God had promised the victory, then why send the spies? Have you ever thought about that? If you knew God says, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to give you this, this country, then why did you need to send the spies? And I kind of wonder, but I was like, yeah, Joshua, didn't you learn your lesson the first time? 
But there was something, and although we don't read in the passage there that God authorized these spies, it seems after history played out that God somewhere along the line did authorize and have a specific reason for these two men to go into Jericho. And I have to believe it was because of this woman Rahab and her family. God specifically knew her faith and was going to use her in a powerful way that they could have never known, but that God certainly did. She had become a believer in the one true God in spite of many barriers in her life that certainly would have prevented her from being a believer in God throughout her life so far. And the first barrier was that she was a Gentile. She wasn't Jewish. She wasn't part of God's chosen people. She knew that. They knew that. But still, she believed in the God that they served. And Gentiles were anyone that was not Jewish. And most Gentiles hated and wanted no part of the Israelite people or their faith or their God because of the tension that had been in that region for so long and quite honestly still is. And however, Rahab had learned of God somehow through hearing of his actions and leading his people through Israel, through the many situations to bring them into this land of Canaan. And Jericho was this next stop. And they had heard about it. And he said, well, how did she hear about this? They didn't have phones. They didn't have the communication. But people, word got around in those days, right? They understood. And now she's a prostitute. And she's got people coming in and out of her house all the time. And they're coming from different places. And she's probably heard these stories about what's going on with Israel and this group of people that are getting closer and closer to, to uh, uh, the promised land, to their land, and they're going to take over. And they heard about, they used to be in bondage in Egypt, and now they're not, and now they're getting closer and closer to us. And she talked about, we, we were, our, our hearts were melting in fear because we heard of what God has done. They knew that somehow God was with Israel. But was she simply afraid of her family being killed, of her own self being killed. Well, obviously she was, but was this just jailhouse uh, religion as we know? Well, I need the religion now. I'm going to turn to God because this bad thing is happening in my life right now, but as soon as it clears up and goes away, then I'll just kind of go slide back into my own life. No, there was something different about her faith, and God seemed to know that. There's something deeper there. She seemed to that she wanted to be a recipient of this God and be a participant in what God was doing in the world. And she was willing to take a great risk at that opportunity. She could have been killed for hiding these men. She could have been killed, her and her whole family, not being a part of her people and what was going on. But being a Gentile was seemingly an obstacle. Another barrier for her along the same lines was that she was an Amorite. Not Jewish, not only Jew, not, not Jewish, but also what is an Amorite, which was definitely one of uh, Israel's um, enemies. Now, there was all these people. There's about ten different people groups that um, were in the Canaanite region, and the Amorites were one of them. And God's judgment had come upon them because of their wickedness. We hear that in the Old Testament all the time. Now, invariably, I hear over and over again, almost every year as I read through the Internet, there's somebody that pops up on something I'm reading who's an atheist, and they say, well, I don't believe in God because God uh, allowed Israel to kill all these people and their enemies. He killed them. That's just a, a violent God. God couldn't really be real if that happened. Like, have you ever read the history of the ancient world? This is a reality of what happened, and these people were wicked. And just like God punished Israel and took their land away when they went against God, this also happened to other people, which tells me that God's judgment is on everybody. He cares about everybody. And we don't understand all of that, but God is still somehow in control, even when we don't understand those things. So how or why would God spare or even care for a Gentile who was an Amorite woman, an, is, uh, uh, an enemy of the Israelites, and her family, they were part of this wicked people who they obviously did wicked, vile things, including 
um, uh, child sacrifice. And God was going, there's going to be judgment that's going to come upon them for that. But we have always seen throughout Scripture how in the midst of sinful, rebellious people, there's always people who are faithful. Even when we think we're the only one. And a lot of times in the Bible, people thought, I'm the only one, God. There's nobody else but me doing the right thing. Guys, no, there's a few people there. Remember Noah. God noticed he was ready to destroy the world, but he knew that Noah was a righteous man, and he called him to build this ark and, and save his family. And then there's the barrier of not only being a Gentile, not only being an enemy and an Amorite, but also her occupation. Well, she's a wicked lady. She's involved in immorality. She's a prostitute. And some commentators over the years have tried to downplay this, and you might even see in some versions, in your version, where it will say instead of prostitute, it says innkeeper. She wasn't a prostitute. She was an innkeeper. Now, it sounds like she's running a house of ill repute to me is what it sounds like. But anyway, that's maybe the case. But we hear over and over again in the Scripture, and she is remembered for that before all of this, she was a prostitute. And in clear references in the Hebrew and Greek, words are clearly identify her as a prostitute. So then she was wicked like the rest of the Gentile and Amorite people. So why would she get saved? Well, she was wicked, but there would also be the possibility that she had repented of this life of prostitution. Or it also may be the case that she was um, in the prostitution because of poverty. If you notice as she was reading out, please save my father, my mother, my brothers and sisters, there was no husband mentioned. She may have been uh, a, a prostitution as by poverty or a widow or through slavery. She might have been forced into prostitution. And the fact that the Jewish spies came to her house was probably, you might even think, why were they coming to her house? Well, everybody was coming in and out of this place. And so the spies knew if we went in and out of this place, no one's going to think anything. We're just travelers coming in and out of this house. And it wouldn't seem unusual to have strangers or travelers. But somehow the king of Jericho said, hey, those two men, how did they know that? And it makes me think that the king was in on this prostitution ring, and he knew what was, who was coming and who was going. So it leads me to believe that possibly she was into a forced slavery of prostitution. And possibly Rahab saw this same God who delivered Israel out of their slavery in Egypt says, God can deliver me out of this slavery of prostitution as well. And so she knew the history of the slavery of Israel under Pharaoh in Egypt for all those years. And she had heard about how there was this mass exodus and God had led them out. And that even Pharaoh had changed his mind at the last minute and sent his troops after him. And then she said in that passage we read, We've heard about the Red Sea parting for your people. Your God was a part of that. He was saving you, giving you your freedom. And so this, she obviously longed for deliverance and freedom from the life that she was living. So she hid these spies to save their lives with this request of saying, will y'all save my family as well? I've saved you, will you save me? And so they, they strike up this, this uh, oath. Now how did Rahab know this was going to happen? How did she know in the next few days that Israel was going to march around seven times and that her whole city was going to implode? She didn't know. But she had faith, didn't she? She was certain of what she did not see. She had confidence in what God could do, even though she didn't know for sure. She had that confidence. She was sure of what she hoped for and certain of what she did not see. That's why hundreds of years later, the Hebrew writer would include Rahab in what we know as the, the roll call of faith or the hall of fame of faith in chapter 11, if we can get that up on the screen. Hebrew writer says this, By faith... The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Hundreds of years later, she is set up as this example of somebody who had incredible faith. 
And her faith was followed not by just faith, but action. She says, I'm going to save you. And then she put that scarlet cord in the window because she believed that they would um, be good to that oath. And hundreds of years later, James, the half-brother of Jesus, would write in James in his letter to the early Christians, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So she has become a legacy, not necessarily for the prostitution, but because of her faith in a God that she really didn't know at the time, but she came to know. Now, what we do know about Rahab's faith in God was shown that it rescued her and her family and forever changed their legacy. The Israelites did march around Jericho for seven days, and on that seventh day, you remember, they shouted after the seventh time, and the walls of Jericho imploded on the people, and somehow they went in and they were able to get Rahab and her family out. And Joshua 6 says this, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, all and all who belonged to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. And they brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Outside the camp of Israel? Well, that seemed like they're kind of excluded, but eventually they would be a part of Israel, but it took some time. Rahab's legacy could have been a prostitute, as an Amorite, as an enemy, but it did not define her after this deliverance. She and her family, though once Gentile Amorites, enemies of God's people, now were a part of God's people because of their faith. And even greater than that, Rahab would marry a Jewish man and become part of Jesus' genealogy. We read about it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And we read, usually read this around Christmas time. But if you've ever started in the Gospels, you read this long list of names. And if you're first starting to read the Bible, you go, I can't pronounce those, and you just skip on and go to chapter 2, right? I know you've done it. I have too, all right? But when you actually have somebody point out that these people were real people, this story way back in the Old Testament wasn't just a story. It was God in the life of a real people doing something that was pointing to his salvation for the whole world. And you can see there, Salmon, the, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David, all the way to Jesus. She was a part of Jesus' genealogy. Now, you think, why would you put that in there? Because it was significant. And I, I to be honest, and I've said this lots of times, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible I would say, yeah, I wouldn't put that in there, God. That's, that's too creepy. That's too weird. That's, too, that's telling about people's stuff in their families because we all got it. But God goes, no, I'm not hiding that. You need to know that I use people in any part of life. I can always use them and transform them into, into my, my will for their life. And we also know that that scarlet cord that she hung in the window, it's worth noting that there's, very sim there's some symbolism that carries there. There's a parallel in that scarlet cord that marked the house for saving them in Jericho, but also it parallels with, if you remember during the Passover when they left Egypt that night, remember what God told them to do when the, the, the death, God says, I'm going to take the firstborn. And if you don't have the blood of the lamb painted over your doorposts, Whoever's in that house is the firstborn will die. The Egyptians didn't believe that, but the Israelites painted over. And when God came over that night, they were spared. They were passed over. And so this is that symbolism. This scarlet cord is very 
parallels that same thing on that historic night in Egypt. And there's a tradition in the early church that says the scarlet cord actually represents the blood of Jesus that runs throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, from Abel's sacrifice in Genesis all the way to Jesus' blood that we read about in the Gospels. It ties it all together. So as we hear those things, what do we take away this morning from this story of Rahab and our modern culture of 2022? Certainly, Rahab changed major directions in her life at a a significant risk to her life and to the life of her family. Her people would change now. Her belief would change now. Her occupation would change now. Her home and everything would change after saving these spies and the oath they made to one another. And God calls us to major change in our directions in our life sometimes, doesn't he? Some of y'all know that. And some of y'all know that it's been hard to change those directions Family has argued with you. Family has told you you were crazy. Friends have told you you were crazy, but you needed to make that different move in your life. And sometimes it involves changing the traditions and the practices of your own family, of your own people, and it can be risky. But it's also rewarding and can actually change the life of yours for the better and your legacy. Well, writer Lisa Apello shares these thoughts on Rahab. She says, God saves those with a past. Isn't that true? God saves those with the past. Well, guess what? Everybody has a past, right? Even if we pretend we don't. In church, we do that like, oh, yeah, I'm good. But no, we all have a past. But God only saves people with a past because he only saves people. That's how he does it. And that would be all of us. We have a past that we're guilty about or ashamed of. But Jesus came to pay the price for those sins and to take away that guilt and that shame and to free us to be who God always created us to be. She goes on and says, God not only saves those with a past, but God also uses those with a past. And God takes our past to be a teacher and allow us to learn wisdom from those things we've learned in our lives. And also that past to speak truth and wisdom to others on their journey in life. And the Bible is full of characters who had a past and God used to point others to a new present and a new future in their lives. And the last one in God redefines those with a past. We don't stay who we were. Now we are a new creature. Think about all the verses in the Bible which says we are a new creation in Christ. How many Bible characters did God not only change their hearts and their minds and their circumstances, but their whole direction in life? Think about Abraham. We've mentioned Moses, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph. We think about in the New Testament, you think about all of the disciples made major changes in their lives. The apostle Paul, before he was Paul, was Saul. Major change in direction of his life. God redefines us. And Peter understood how God redefined him as just a fisherman into a preacher of God's word. He was the one that carried into the new, after Jesus went back up into heaven, he was going to carry on this new thing, this church, into the new world. And Peter writes this, You are now a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's what God has called us to. Out of darkness into his wonderful light. He did that for Rahab and her family. And I really believe he can do that for you. And will do that for you. But it's a journey isn't it? And so this morning maybe there's some that I, I mentioned earlier today. That are, that are struggling with where you are in your situation right now. And you know you need to change those directions. But it's hard. And there's people that are telling you not to do it. But I want to encourage you to think about this story today. And how God throughout the Bible works through people in changing the direction of their life so they can be who he ultimately created them to be. 
So this morning, we're going to offer that invitation. Maybe there's somebody here today that needs to say, I need to change the direction of my life. And I, like Rahab, don't understand everything about God, but I know He is so good. What do we just sing about? God is so good. I know He's good, and I know He wants what's best for me, and I want that in my life. So we're going to offer that invitation. Or maybe that you're looking for a church home, and guess what? We got junk. All of us have junk. We're regular humans like everybody else, and we got a past at this church but we are moving forward to be who God's called us to in the present and into the future. So if you're looking for a church home like that, we invite that as well.